0: Beautiful. Well, good morning. Good morning. I'd like you to turn back in your Bibles to Malachi. We're going to finish up this book. Probably need two more weeks, but we're going to have to get what we can get since I don't have two more weeks on this uh, awesome last book in the Old Testament. Well, we're probably all a little bit tired today since we had an hour less sleep. Move those clocks forward. I didn't realize when I signed up for a DUI checkpoint to help out at the police department. I was going to get off at 4 o'clock this morning, so uh, got one on you possibly. I was just thinking how what we do is, is we go to a, a certain spot and we for about eight hours have a checkpoint where everyone who's driving down Mission Boulevard has to stop and, and then we find out if they have a driver's license and if not, their car's towed. If they don't have any um, current registration, their car is towed. And, of course, if they're under the influence, then they're arrested. And I was just thinking that if we, you know how communication is, it can easily be misunderstood that if there was like 10 of us and I was to whisper into one of your ear that I was at a DUI checkpoint till 4 in the morning and 20 cars were towed and there was five people arrested, by the time it got to the 10th person, it probably could be Randy was in the DUI and his car was towed and, and everything else. <laughs> So I just want to clarify, I was not in a DUI. I was (laughs) helping to run people who were being pulled over and all of that's involved in the dispatch side. Just before I read, I thought I might need to give you an update on some church bulletin bloopers that I came across. It's been a while since I've shared those with you. These are real live church bulletin bloopers. And I have the top ten I'd like to read briefly. Number one, the Outreach Committee has enlisted 25 visitors to make calls on people who are not afflicted with any church. <laughs> Low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7 to 8:30. Please use the back door. <laughs> Ushers will eat latecomers. For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. The pastor will preach his farewell message after which the choir will sing, Break Forth Into Joy. (laughs) Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. (laughs) The eighth graders will be presenting Shakespeare's Hamlet in the church basement on Friday at 7 p.m. The congregation is invited to attend this tragedy. The concert held in Fellowship Hall was a great success. Special thanks are due to the minister's daughter who labored the whole evening at the piano, which, as usual, fell upon her. <laughs> Two to go, potluck supper, prayer and medication to follow. <laughs> lastly, don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. Oh, so. mm. Well, our theme this morning is continuing on the subject of reigniting intimacy with God. And I want to pick up just from chapter one and read from verse six. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now, will you not entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it, in that you say, The table of the Lord is defiled, and and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. Verse 13, you also say, my, how tiresome it is, and you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring what is taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name is to be feared among the nations. And in just a short time, we'll read a few verses from chapter 3. Well, we looked at about four weeks ago, where I think it was, give or take, that really the issue is, is Malachi is burdened by God to want to address this issue with the Israelites to determine what is their temperature spiritually. You know, are they hot? Are they burning hot for God, for Jehovah? Or have they allowed themselves in their comfort and in their ease? And after the temple had been rebuilt again to get into a position where they now were becoming lukewarm. And in fact, their hearts actually were steadily on the decline. And they were going into a nosedive. And their hearts, if anything, were more like a freezer toward how they were viewing their relationship with God and their affection toward him. And what really we looked at a few weeks ago just from those first five verses of chapter 1 is that this is all the more amazing that their love had been on this decline for God in view of his love for them. Because the scripture says that we love him because he first loved us. And so we're responders of his love. And what Malachi is bringing out in, this, in these four chapters is he's saying, you know, God has shown his favor on you and that he has chosen you to be his people, to be a witness to all the other nations. And I, God himself speaking, says, I have loved you. And yet they say, is verse 2 of chapter 1, how have you loved us? And so God, in the course of using Malachi over these next few chapters, really brings out, okay, I'm going to, in kindness and in my grace, I'm going to show you, I'm going to remind you again and again how I have shown my love for you. And hopefully that would be the thing that triggers them and kickstarts them to understand that. And from what we read in the, just those first few verses of chapter 1, one of the problems, in addition to forgetting the love of God that he addresses now, is that there's another problem here. And that is that there's a lack of reverence for his name. Or if you like another word for that is respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. They have lost that. How do you define respect? What is the Bible talking about as Malachi speaks to the people? And really it's this. It's a loving, sincere, and practical recognition of the greatness of God that really bears that kind of response, that we respect God, that we revere his name. Malachi goes on to say, as we just read, that they weren't taking their work seriously. And he's addressing specifically in chapter 1, verse 6, to chapter 2, verse 9, the priests, the leaders of the people. And he has some harsh words. And so maybe someone here this morning says, okay, now I know this is my opportunity to be critical and harsh about the leaders, the leaders of churches. And really that isn't the issue of where I'm going at all. In the context that, yes, leaders need to look very carefully at if they are obeying God. But if you take this in a broader sense, that we're not just thinking this is just a message for the leaders and the rest of us can kind of shut off is to think about the fact that all of us are priests before God in the New Testament. And that all of us, in some way, shape, or form, if we have any kind of a leadership role, whether you're a husband in your home, you have a leadership role, or you're involved in the Sunday school work, or you're involved in whatever way you are, you are serving, if you like, in an under-shepherd role. And so this message can very much apply to us in the most general sense of the application. But obviously in its interpretation, it was written to the leaders. And then in the rest of chapter 2, he broadens it back now to all of the people. But we can't pick up on this. And one of the problems was in verses chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, and I just read this, is that it was painless worship. There was no sacrifice to it. And when we think of, again, the idea of sacrifice it's no pain, no gain. It should cost us something. Something that we genuinely value is something we're willing to give up for God, to express our devotion, if you like, to Him. And what they were doing here, and it's incredible when you think of it, but they were doing it, was they were offering to God diseased animals. When the scripture in the Old Testament was very clear that this was forbidden, and this wasn't how it was to be. It would be like if we went home today and we said, You know, God, I want to give you a sacrifice, and I want to give you a fruit of my offering, and we went into our bin you know our rubbish bin i think that's what we say in ireland rubbish bin you guys may say a garbage bin but i think a rubbish we go to our rubbish bin and we just pull out some some food some some sacrifice and we just present it and we say here you go god it would be crazy we wouldn't do that but in our service for god and where the application is for us for the time we have is that sometimes in our in our service for god we have the view like these israelites did in their service to god in this area it's like Anything is good enough for God. It doesn't really matter if it's quality. It's just as long as I'm doing something. And really the challenge is is that in, in our culture, it's this. And here's a challenge. It's my career is going to be first. And leisure, or as we said in Ireland, leisure, is going to be second. And then thirdly, God's going to get the leftovers. And you think about it in our jobs, and I don't know about you, but I think what has changed over the last several years is that our jobs require so much of our mind. They require us to think and concentrate. And we're having to ponder a lot of things in our work. And so we come home, and we're just kind of mentally exhausted. And it's like the things of God and thinking about God and meditating on Him and being concerned about His service, of what it is that He's called you and I to do, sometimes kind of gets dropped out. And this was what was happening. God was getting what was left over. I remember my wife and I were having a conversation where this is, to be honest, it's as real to me. What I'm reading as I'm speaking to you. And I was thinking about this and the thought entered my mind. And it really wasn't from God, but it was from the enemy. And it was this walking, thinking, you know, 11 years, lived overseas for 11 years as we were talking. And, and I guess it was a subject with some people about retirement about pension plans and retirement plans. And I thought, we were thinking, you know, we've lost 11 years of what we could have had. And then we started thinking, and for what? You know, and it was just a dark conversation. You know, where was the fruit? Where was all the the fruit of those 11 years and all the sacrifice? And it was a little bit of a pity party that we were having, my wife and I. And then we realized as we were thinking, we were saying, you know what? God says even a cup of water that's given in his name, he takes note of. And that whatever service that we did for him really was just as earthly vessels, just wanting to give him our best. And we did far from that. But that God will reward. And sometimes, you know, in our lives we, we, we serve, we think, what's the point? You know, is it, what's, it, what's it accomplishing? You know, what's the sacrifice really amounting to? And the enemy would want us to say, you know what, just focus on the things of this world. Just concentrate on the things below, not on the things above. And just get consumed about these things. It's about earning as much money as you can and, and whatever. And it was rubbish, really, the thoughts we had. And we dismissed them and we confessed them. And God reminded us that it was a wonderful time when we lived overseas and it wasn't for naught. So it was painless. That was one of the problems. And secondly, it was thoughtless. Verses 8 and 9 bring this out as well. And he really brings this point. You know, they're under the rule of the governor. Persia and it's like this you know what are you going to offer him diseased you know uh, infested uh, maggot leg of lamb and the answer is of course not you're not gonna do that and you wouldn't say well the compliments of the chef and there it is you wouldn't do that we had a meal together today and somebody invites you over from the the assembly to their home and you say well I'm really starved what are we having and they say, well, you know, we're having leftovers. And you say, okay, well, sometimes leftovers are better the second day than the first day, pizza or cold pizza at that, or so maybe not so bad. But then they bring it out and it's been chewed on, pieces of meat, some of it smells a little bit funky, and you know, you're just thinking, that's when you decided you're a vegetarian and you tell them that. He'd say, you know, that's a little bit thoughtless. Um, you invited me for a meal. Kind of, I wasn't expecting, you know, prime rib or flammignon, but and yet they were wanting to offer to God this kind of thoughtless worship. Okay, you think about well, how does that also apply in 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 life today, and in our service for God? And I don't mean to sound legalistic on this or regimented on this, but I come from a profession that when lineup starts for briefing at six A. M., you're there. Matter of fact there's a couple of lieutenants that if you walk in at six oh one, he stops or she stops what they're doing, this was particularly a he, and he would stop the whole lineup and he'd look at the clock and he'd say, Glad you're able to make it, Randy or or so forth. Lineup started at six you were there at six. And sometimes what happens, and obviously there's emergencies and there's things that occur, and God has a special conversation that's on, you know, a heart that you need to address now, but sometimes in the body, and I've seen this over the years of being a believer, 30 years, that, you know, sometimes we're we're walking in 10, 15 minutes late, you know, there's been no preparation for worship, you know, with the breaking of bread, and, and we just, we think, you know, I wouldn't show up. I wouldn't show up late like that to my job if I was told to prepare. And and yet, sometimes with God, and again, I say this in in the right spirit, hear me right, please, on this, but that we sometimes think, you know what, it's kind of good enough for God, just that I'm here. But it doesn't really matter, and we're not really conscious of how it could be affecting others. And what, maybe we've denied someone by not preparing, that God had something he wanted one of the brothers to share, but we we weren't ready for it. Sometimes maybe it has to do with the fact that none of us with April 15th want, coming around the corner, don't want any to hear anything from Uncle Sam on that. We don't want to hear from the IRS. And so we're diligent, and rightly so, and praise God, that we want to make sure that everything's in order with our taxes and that we're not trying to withhold anything that the government is getting. And yet what Malachi addresses in here, and you read it more in chapter 3, and he talks a little bit about it here in in chapter 2 as well, is he says, you're robbing me. You know, you're robbing me of tithes and offerings, and that's a whole other message. But you're withholding. And it really isn't just withholding money that sometimes is the temptation. That's what rightfully is due God. But we're withholding maybe our time. Or we're withholding what really is our best. And it's like, God, you, you just get what's left over. And so Malachi is addressing that. And he says, you know, the governor wouldn't be pleased with this kind of offering. Would God be, will I be, God speaking in the per- first person to Malachi, would I be happy with that? And I think we know the answer to that. And then also in chapter 1, it was contemptuous worship, verses 12 and 13. And really, you know, they I don't know, like I said a couple weeks ago, if they really had the honesty to say all of this, or that Malachi knew that this is what they were thinking. But they said, you know how dull and tiresome it is. To serve God. You know, you just think, like I said earlier, all the different tasks God has you doing, what your spiritual gift is. They had some kind of come to the place where it was like, you know what? I'm just bored with it. I'm tired of it. I'd rather be doing something else, whether it's on Monday, Wednesday, Friday or Sunday, than be doing what I'm doing. And they may not have had the courage to actually say that, but they might have been thinking it. And they were because it gets addressed. And he says, you know what? You're profaning my name. And the key here is, is that if the Israelites here weren't going to honor God and honor his name because they were his chosen people then who was going to? I mean the enemies of God aren't. And so it really relied on his people to do that. And yet they were thinking of this that you know what? God we're we're bored. We're bored in serving you. There's so many other things I'd rather be doing than serving you. And you think you know what how did it get to this? What was the cause of this problem? How did it get to this? And I I suggest that it was an embryo form initially, and it just grew. You know the phrase, nip it in the bud. And they didn't nip this in the bud. And what they forgot in verses 11 and 14 bring it out, and actually it's mentioned twice in verse 11, is that word great. They forgot the greatness of God. That all of this that they were doing was for a God who's to be respected because of his greatness of who he is. Remember two or three weeks ago when I came, they'd forgotten the love of God. They'd forgotten that they were this most privileged people, that God has set them apart and saved them. You and I as the church, the body of Christ, we are privileged people, loved by God. When I was driving in today and I was just looking and you probably saw too, just all the greenness of the hills right now. It's just beautiful. The one who created all of this is the one who also died on the cross on our behalf. They'd forgotten that. And they'd forgotten that they were serving a great God. You know, Moses in Exodus 33, verse 18, said this. He said, Oh, Lord, please show me your glory. He he had some understanding that, that this was a great God. And just a next chapter later is... Moses is going to the Mount Sinai for the Ten Commandments, and God grants him graciously his desire. And this is an amazing verse. It says, And as he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sins. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. God allowed Moses to hear him speak and to see. Some of him. And when Moses saw this, he bowed at the ground or bowed on the ground at once and he worshipped. And that encounter that he had with God, where he, he saw God in this display of his awesome power, when he came down from the mountain, it says Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking to him. He saw the glory of God, the greatness of God. And you and I, one of the best things that we can do as Christians in our witness, as ambassadors for God, is just declare his greatness. I mean, it really kind of would seem silly that if we were to share others who do not know Jesus, and yet we do not somehow convey the fact that we serve a great God, that he's not just like any other God, but that he is magnificent. He is brilliant. And for all the reasons that you can describe, that makes a powerful testimony and you know what? Also, if you look at chapter three, just real quickly, verse 16, something else, not only with those who do not know Jesus, but it should be part of our regular diet and, our, and what happens in our lives week to week. In verse 16, is is that we also ought to be talking about God with one another because it says then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and heard it and a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and whom esteem his name. Now, I think that is a description of us today. If we know Jesus Christ, we esteem his name. And so it seems natural that in all the other things that we talk about in life, in the good things and all the things happening in our lives, that we don't miss the opportunity as his children to talk about him with each other and encourage one another. And in a sense, be blessed with what another one is sharing about his greatness and what he's doing. And just what a wonderful God he is. They'd forgotten that. You know that verse in Exodus 15:11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord among the gods? And the answer is, there's no one. This morning, just as we move on, when you think of it, encouraging you, remember, gaze upon, reflect in, bask in, the love that God has for you today as his child. And don't take that for granted. And think that this is just not any God, but this is a great God who loves you and I. And you know, because God is so concerned about relationship with you and I, because this is something that's beating on his heart, that this is something that he is passionate about, he in his kindness and in his grace is going to do whatever it is that he has to do to make sure that we remember this. And like the Israelites who forgot it, he says, you know what, I want to remind you of something. And he said, and you have to go to chapter 3 to see this, that I am a purifier. And I want to finish with this wonderful theme. This is a message in and of itself, but that in order to bring about what he wants in our lives so that we don't get to this place, he says, you know what? I'm in the business of purifying. For those of you who know me, I want you to understand that I'm a refiner. Chapter 3. Behold, I am going to send my messenger... And he will clear the way before me, and the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. There's a big contrast there from what they were doing. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be... Uh, A swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And then, unfortunately, they say, but you say, how shall we return? I don't know if you noticed that, if you had a chance to read in Malachi, but many times God makes a statement through Malachi, and they come back with a question. But you say. And so they were questioning this. F.B. Meyer said, the main end of life is not to do, but to become. And he went on to say, and for this, we are being prepared every day as silver is refined by fire. The heart is often refined in the furnace of sadness. The psalmist said of his sorrow from Psalm 66, verse 12, we went through fire. Initially, when I started reading Malachi, I thought, man, I do need to tell you folks the bloopers because this is a pretty heavy book. You know, it's pretty sobering stuff. But then again, you just have to understand that the heart of God is such that he cares for you and I so much that he's going to tell us some stuff that's hard. And he wants to, our affection, and he wants, as a jealous God, our heart more than anything else. And as we're going to see here, a purifier is not a consumer. And so if you think about this, when you think about the very thing of fire, the process may be painful. There's no doubt. But when I read chapter 3 and what I read from First Peter chapter 1 is that the fire in our lives that God allows does not destroy us. And there's a big difference there. Notice verse 2. It does not say that he is a forest fire or an incinerator fire, but he's a refiner's fire. I don't know about you, but obviously I watched it when the fires were burning in Southern California last year. You just see when those Santa Anas hit in October, I think in November as well, just how they destroy uh, indiscriminately. Just go from block to block to block to block. Sometimes a house is spared where another one wasn't. But it's just total destruction. Some of those things, uh, some of those fires were just absolutely so intense that it just consumed everything in its path. But verse six, brothers and sisters, says this in the refining process that God is doing in our lives. We are not consumed or destroyed. We're not a refiner fire, a refiner's fire, refines it, it, it purifies it melts down the silver or the gold. And then it separates all the impurities and and brings it to the surface that ruin its value, and it burns them up, and it leaves that silver and that gold intact. But when I read the word fire, I do think about purity and holiness and that this is what God wants from us, his people. And it's a serious thing. And there ought to be, when you think of fire, something of fear and trembling that's associated with that very thing. We're told, aren't we, as young kids, don't play with fire. There's a certain sobriety with the subject of the issue of fire. I remember when I was in, in about 12 years old, 11 years old, and I wanted to be a firefighter. And it was during the drought years. And so what I did was I went out. Our front lawn was completely brown. And so I went out and I lit it on fire with the idea then that I would pull the garden hose and then I would put it out. That was my first opportunity. And I thought I did. Only about an hour later, I'm in my bedroom listening to my scanner, probably, and I smell smoke. And I look outside my front bedroom window, and it had rekindled, and half the lawn was burning. And I had to rush out there, and had to explain, my dad did, to the neighbors of how his lawn caught on fire. Thankfully, that pattern of behavior didn't continue in me. And (laughs) I can honestly say I've only done that once. But I should have have viewed fire with some degree of fear and trembling. Instead, I was out there with matches messing around with it. God is like fire. That's why this time of year, I don't know about you, when it's the time when the clocks change, that's when we change our batteries and our smoke detector. At this time of year. So remember, when that smoke alarm goes off, you're ready. Because fire is such a serious thing. When God says that he's a refiner's fire, there's really two words that come into mind. There's warning from that. And there's also hope. And I want you to hear both of those today. I know a number of you, and this has gone on with the body of Christ, obviously ever since we've been on the, this earth, but I know a number of you are going through the furnace right now of intense trials. And truth be told, we may not understand completely why. Whether it's the intense fire, fiery trials of health, or if it's to do with finance, Or if it's to do with broken relationships or whatever it is, whatever those intense and fiery trials that James talks about and Peter as well, we're going through. We may not understand why it might even seem to us in our finite mind to be endless and pointless. But someone has once said, remember, God is a refiner. He's not an arsonist and he's just not out casually starting fires in our lives with no reason. There's a reason behind it. He's doing what matters. You and I, his precious children who know him, are being refined. And I wish, a number of us probably wish it wasn't through fire. But it is. Because of the very thing of what happens with silver and gold and it's a picture of it. You say, well, what is it that God wants to do in my life? And I suggest it's probably a number of things. You probably would say more to this list, but you probably would say, yeah, it does include this. He wants to teach me patience. He wants to teach me meekness and humility and compassion. And there's all these quiet inner traits and qualities that are of God in his character that he wants to teach us. And you and I know that we probably could say we, after the trial is over, and hopefully even in it and during it, that we have learned so much from God in the trial, as a result of the trial, as if it didn't happen. But the majority of us, I'm sure, wouldn't say, anyone want trials today? Just raise your hand and I'll throw you a ton at you. We we don't do that, naturally speaking. And yet God knows that's what we need. Verses 1 to 3 of chapter 3 talk about who is the refiner's fire. And it is the Lord Jesus himself. He is this one. And you say, well, Randy, why must there be a refiner's fire? Well, you understand the context of Malachi here and what we are reading is is this is what the Israelites needed. They'd gotten away from God. They'd gotten in a position where God said, you know what, I love you so much and and that the group of people that I'm, I'm going to do this purifying work. In addition to that, it may not be that there's any specific sin that anyone here is doing. It's just that God wants to take us deeper. He wants to take us deeper in our knowledge and relationship with him so that we will become more like his Son. So the Father allows it. Someone has said, but God will have no alloys in heaven. He wants the real deal. And you and I know that we couldn't have come to know him. Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart. If he hadn't refined us in that sense and showed us our sin and brought that to the surface. And then that we saw, you know what, I can't clean up my own act here. I can't wash myself with soap on this to be pure before the eyes of God. I need the blood of Jesus Christ to do that. How can we experience this fire as refining and not consuming? Well, verse five. Not everyone will be refined; some will be consumed. Notice chapter four, verse one: For behold, the day of his coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and that day, and the day that is coming, will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Clearly, there's a dis- distinguished difference between those who are the redeemed, those who have been become children of God, those who belong to the Lord, and those who are not. If you're a child of God today, you will be refined, but you will not be consumed. If you don't know God today, there is a judgment of fire coming, and it's a totally different thing because of your sin and rebellion and defiance and arrogance and evil-doing activities. God wants you not to experience that, but he wants you to experience the refining fire of being one of his children. Quickly, what is life like in the refiner's fire? Well, a number of you could answer that, and that could be a wonderful uh, time of fellowship afterwards to go over that issue. But isn't it, among so many other things, It's a life that is growing in the confidence of God. That's what it is. October 1991, I was in Dublin, Ireland at the time, driving on a back road, and all of a sudden I heard on the news that there had been this destructive fire in the Oakland Hills. And, of course, my interest in fire, for the right reasons, I wished I could have been there and been able to help in some way. I could just imagine it. 2,500 homes destroyed, So many returned, and you were here probably, and you saw the the film clips, and maybe even you saw it actually as it unfolded. Many returned to find just total destruction. Possessions had been reduced just to suit. Stories told about a man and his daughter who discovered this tiny porcelain rabbit. And they were amazed to find that this fragile object somehow had survived when everything else in their home had been utterly and totally destroyed. Apparently, other people in the Oakland Hills fire, also other victims found pottery and porcelain items that somehow, again, defied the all-consuming flames of what was going on. And this particular man and his daughter, he was apparently a pastor of a local church in the area, and he, on the following Sunday, he carried... Uh, an unbroken vase and this porcelain rabbit it was the only thing that was recovered from his home. And he asked the congregation, he said, do you know why this is still here? These two things, why this is here and my home is completely gone? And he said, because these had passed through the fire once before. He'd been a victim of a fire previously. And they had survived. And now they survived the Oakland Hills fire. Isn't it true, brothers and sisters, that God has seen us through before. He has allowed us to go through fire. And you know what? A good number of us probably would say, you know what? And as a result, my faith in him is stronger because of who he is. And what happens is is our confidence in God grows. It doesn't grow in ourselves, and we don't become stronger in ourselves to say, you know what? I can withstand this now and I can handle this and I can handle this. But it's that we look to God and we say, "You know what? My strength is in Him. Amen. He's the rock. He's the one that helps me to trust." And I love it in First Peter chapter one, where he, Peter says this awesome thing. He says, "Our faith is more precious than gold. that God sees our faith in the times of the fiery trials and when He is being that refiner in our lives. And he says, "You know, I'm going to test your faith, And it too, is going to survive." if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus. I love the phrase in verse 3, He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Stories told of some women who were in a Bible study and they were discussing this very passage in Malachi chapter 3. And one of the ladies who had a silversmith in the small town that they lived in went to a, a silversmith to want to find out more about it. And she didn't tell him that she was a Christian. She didn't tell him anything that would make him answer the way he answered. But she asked him a couple questions about the process of refining silver. And she said, Sir, do you have to watch while the work of refining is going on? And he said, Oh, yes, ma'am. I must sit and watch the furnace constantly. For if the necessary time for the refining is exceeded in the slightest degree, the silver will be injured. And the woman at once, it says in the story, saw the beauty, and don't you too, of comfort in that statement. He shall sit as a refiner, a purifier of silver. God sees it in his wisdom and in his love and he sought for the Israelites here in Malachi and he may very well see it today in our lives, this very day, to put you and I into the furnace. But, But the wonderful thing is his eye is always on the work of purifying us. And in wisdom and love, he is doing what is absolutely best for us. Our trials don't just come at random. They don't just come out of the dark. Maybe to us it appears that way, but God, who divinely is orchestrating our lives, knows exactly what is happening. It's not like any of this took him by surprise, where he said, oh, I wasn't aware of that. I didn't know that was going to happen. And somehow it just caught him off guard. That's not God. And you know what? We know, we know, 1 Corinthians 10:13, talking about temptation, same thing applies in the same t- idea of testing, that he won't give us more than we can endure. Amen. I love it, that the idea of thinking that our trials that come our way, whatever they are, they're screened by God. It doesn't happen and get passed into our lives until he has screened it and he's approved it. And he says, this is going to happen. I am going to allow this. Just in concluding, back to the lady. She had one more question to the silversmith. She said, how do you know when the process is finished? And he said, oh, that's simple. When I can see my own image in the silver, the refining process is complete. God wants to see his face in our lives out of his loving kindness, not because he's cruel, not because he's harsh, but because he loves you and I, he's going to do what he has to do to purify us and to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus. You and I have an opportunity to respond, to not fight him, to not dig our heels in, but to allow him, as the potter, To say, you know what, I I am the clay. Do with me what you must for your glory. Because you're a God who loves me. And you're a great God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you're just such a wise, loving God. That you just don't abandon us here on the earth and tell us just to go about trying to figure out how to live on earth as your children. But that you promise to to be with us, just like you were with Daniel's friends in that fiery furnace. Three went in, and yet there were four, because you were their God. I just pray that you'll be um, an encouragement to my brothers and sisters that if you discipline us, it's because you, you love us, and that you just want us to become more and more like your precious and dear son. We so thank you for the relationship that we have with him today. We have with you, Father, because of the shed blood. I just pray for anyone here this morning who may not know you. God, that they might be aware of the judgment that is coming, but want to escape it and thrust themselves, throw themselves on you, Lord Jesus. pray you bless us and encourage us for the rest of this day and coming week. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.